Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. Okay. Get your Bibles out to uh, Acts 5 tonight, you guys. Acts chapter 5. We've been going through the book of Acts here on Tuesday nights. And uh, hey, while you're turning there, I did want to mention about that night of worship. Um, Oh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand in the air. We got some extra Bibles for you guys. We'll put the words on the screen also, but if you don't have a Bible, then you need one. So raise your hand. We'd love you to, to have one so you can follow along. But uh, yeah, I could. I wanted to talk to you guys specifically about the night of worship that's coming up, not this Friday, but the Friday following. And the reason I wanted to talk to you guys about it is because I could really use your help. And the way that I could use your help is not through being greeters, not through coming up or coming early and setting up, not because of breaking down or serving food or anything like that. What I could use your help with is I have seen a lot of you guys when you are passionate for Jesus in worship, and I could use you for that, that night. I need as many of you as possible to come and get close in that circle because what's going to happen is we're going to have a lot of like people who are super churchy who have been around the church forever and they've gone to like 97 nights of worship throughout their lives. And every time they come in, the, the uh, seats are in rows and they have their special seat and they're going to come in and be all like off kilter. Like what is going on in here tonight? And it will be really helpful if there's a crew of people that are excited about Jesus just pressing in and worshiping the Lord uh, with us. So I felt like you guys in the youth ministry would be good at that. So I'm asking you guys to come out and set the tone at the night of worship. Okay, so pray about it. That's all I'm asking you guys to do. Okay, second thing, I just wanted to give some props uh, tonight. We got uh, Pastor Matt leading worship. That was amazing. Thanks. Thank you, Pastor Matt. He is a man of many talents. He's a good pastor. He's a good teacher. He's a good leader. He's a good musician and worship leader. And after the service is over with tonight, he's actually going to recite some poetry that he wrote. No, just kidding. He's not going to be doing that tonight. Uh, I also want to give props to uh, Ethan back on the uh, screens tonight. You know, we had to move in here. Uh, last minute and everything, and uh, I've been running the slides off of my computer as I've been teaching you guys, and we're not set up for that for some reason in here. It's got to be the the thing has to be back there. So tonight, and they told me there would be like a clicker that I could click, and it's broken. So tonight, as I'm going through the teaching, I'm going to hold up my hand, and I'm going to go click, and then Ethan is going to do it, okay? So he's got the first slide up there. Don't click yet, but when I do that, that's when he's going to click the slide. So thank you for being my clicker tonight, Ethan. I appreciate that. Okay, this is just something that was on my mind before I get into the teaching. I thought I'd just uh, share with you guys a thing that I, I just wanted to get your insights about this. But my family and I recently, uh, I led them through this exercise. It took a couple of hours for us to do this. But what we did, and I can't remember all 16, but we took 16 animated characters 
and we put them in a bracket challenge, and we debated uh, all the way through uh, if these characters were in hand-to-hand to the death combat, and they brought into the arena whatever skills they just had, who would win? And so, you know, there were a lot of rounds and all of that, but we got down to the final two of the 16 that we chose, and it, it was, uh, what's her face from Frozen? Elsa, okay, it was Elsa versus the Kung Fu Panda, okay? It was Elsa versus the Kung Fu Panda. Now, I'll just tell you my thinking. I'll tell you my thinking at first. At first, I thought Elsa, because she's got that ice magic power. Like, she's just going to put you on lock at any point. But then we watched a clip from Kung Fu Panda 3, where he basically turns into, like, a demon dragon that can float through the universe and just blast people with, like, his intensity. Like, it just radiates from him. And I thought, ice isn't going to really do anything to that. So... Kung Fu Panda won in our house. And I just want to get confirmation from you guys. Are we thinking in the right direction? How many of you guys are Elsa? She would win Mortal Kombat against... Is this just because you're an Elsa fan? Yes, a question. I'll allow for one or two questions. Can we confirm, does, does she need to have H2O? Okay, does that change your opinion? Not really, okay. Not really. Great question, great question. One more question, anybody else have a question? All right, hands up for Elsa. Okay, and hands up for Kung Fu Panda. Okay, good. Thank you for that confirmation. I felt like we were on the right track as a family. And just so you guys know, there's five people in our family, so sometimes we do these tournaments because we'll never have a tie vote. It'll always be the closest it could be is three to two. So uh, uh, Kung Fu Panda won 5-0 in our family. It was five of us voting for him, zero for for, uh, Elsa. We love Elsa. Nothing against her, but she doesn't stand a chance against Kung Fu Panda. The longest tournament we've ever done as a family one time we did a 64 round thing with like the pixar characters like our favorite character our favorite pixar character he won the tournament at least mater 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 but the longest tournament we ever did I don't know if I want to admit this one or not, but the longest tournament we ever did, it took us a few weeks to get through this one. It was like 200 plus uh, entries into this tournament, and it was our favorite Taylor Swift song. We took every song from our whole catalog. Yeah, We had to go through it. Are you questioning my manhood right now? Do you think I'm a guy? <laughs> All right, uh, I didn't. I'm sorry about that controversial statement. Uh, let's see, a cowboy like me. Yeah. It's just a tournament. It's not a ranking. It's just a tournament. So sometimes one song gets up against another song. It's just you know, it's the way it goes. Okay, uh, let's pivot now, guys. Let's try to be serious. Okay, this is church. Jeez. Okay, we're going to Acts chapter 5 tonight. We've been going through the book of Acts together uh, as, a, as a youth group together. And I just got to say this to you guys. I love you guys. And I'm so thankful that I get to do this with you for a little bit. 
while we're looking for our youth pastor. This has been really refreshing to like just spend time with you, and I hope to get to know you guys even better. So just wanted to say that at the beginning. But my big question tonight from Acts chapter 5, we're going to plow through the whole chapter, is what can kill the church? Kind of a morbid question there. Like what can stop the church? Last week we talked about what the book of Acts is. It's a continuation of God's story. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about me. The Bible is about God. And what God has done to rescue us people from our brokenness. It's a story of God making us and then through our own folly, having us separated from himself and then him going through a long planned process to not only promise the sending of his son, but to send his son to bridge the gap between a broken and lost people and a perfect and holy God so that we could know him and enjoy him forever. That's, that's really the story of the Bible. Well, by the time you get to the book of Acts, Jesus has come, Jesus has lived, Jesus has died on the cross, Jesus has risen from the grave, and Jesus has ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And now he commissions, sends his people, the church, to go into the whole world with this incredible mission. So what you have in the big picture of the Bible is God on a rescue mission, and the church is a major vehicle that he uses in order to execute that mission. So uh, maybe we can imagine it like this. Um, imagine uh, that there's someone who is hurting, they're dying, they call 911, and the ambulance is on its way. Abby knows a little bit about this. The ambulance is on its way. I should have asked Abby before. What has been the gnarliest thing about your, where your ambulance couldn't get there? Was there, has there ever been a time where it's like the ambulance can't get there? Oh, okay. Well, let's imagine that the ambulance gets a flat tire, right? What are you going to do? Okay, we can't, we can't get there. What if the engine blows up? We can't get there. In Acts 5, th that is the picture of what is happening in this chapter. There are different elements that are about to take out the ambulance of the church that is on its way to seek and save people who are lost. And uh, I want to talk to you about these three things from this passage that endanger the church or could kill the church. And uh, so we'll start out in Acts 5, verse 1. Click. But a man named... Did it work? <laughs> okay, sweet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Remember last week we saw everybody is like being generous with each other. They're selling their stuff. They're giving to each other. There was a guy named Barnabas. He was nicknamed the son of encouragement because he sold land from an island far away, came and brought the proceeds to the church, gave it to them. And everybody's splitting up the money like they're helping poor people. It's just an amazing, beautiful time. So this guy, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira, they sold a piece of property too. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Will it remain unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold... Was it not at your disposal? 
Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. Okay, so this is kind of a gnarly story. Like everything's going good in the book of Acts up to this point. You know, people are getting saved, and uh, there's boldness, and the Holy Spirit's flowing, it seems like, you know, everywhere they go, miracles are happening, and then this happens. And what happened was, everybody's selling their stuff, they're giving, and all of that. And Ananias, he goes to his wife, and Peter's super clear about it. He's like, Ananias, you didn't have to sell anything. Ananias, you didn't have to give anything. But what Ananias did is he sold his stuff, he sold his land, and then he just brought part of the proceeds, part of that money, but he acted as if he was giving all of the money. So let me ask you, did this guy die because he didn't give all the money? The answer is no. Did this guy die because he was supposed to give everything? No, the the reason that he died is because he acted as if he was giving all When in reality, he was giving part, which was just fine. Super cool to give part, but that's not what he was doing. So uh, Peter confronts him. Peter gets like a, this is called like a discerning of spirits or a word of wisdom. He knows something about this guy. It's the spirit of God showing him. And he asks him, kind of interviews him. And did you sell it for this much and all of that? And when the truth comes out, this guy falls down dead. And uh, it says everybody... uh, Great fear came upon all who heard it. Okay, click. The young men, verse six, rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. So this would be like you guys in the church. The young guys, they'd be like, this is your job. You got, you're on dead guy duty. And so that's what happened. After an interval of about three hours. So they're just like cruising along in this church service. They're like three hours later, one dead guy down, but we're gonna keep worshiping Jesus, man his wife comes in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. So she's in on the lie. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last When the young men came in, they found her dead. So these four young guys, they're like, man, we got to carry this body. We got to dig a hole. We got to bury him. And then they come back in and they're like, that was a lot of work. And then this other lady just, bam, she dies. And Peter's like, hey, round two. (laughs) And great fear, it says in verse 11, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Okay. This is an interesting passage in the Bible. Let me ask you guys a question. Is this like the normal way that God behaves? It's not the normal thing that God does. You're not going to be reading through the Bible and it's just like, you know, left and right all the time is God's just capping people, you know? He's just, he's just offing people that he's upset with. This is like a rare thing. It's a rare thing uh, because it was an important message and at an important moment. And here's what I want you guys to see. My first thing about what can kill the church, click, is this hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. That's the sin that Ananias and Sapphira were guilty of. They were pretending to be one thing when in actuality they were another. 
And when God does this kind of thing where it's like a monumentous moment or extreme behavior at the outset of a new thing that he's doing, it's like he's communicating, I never want this to happen. He's not saying I'm always going to do this, you know, so when we come to church, if we have a little bit of hypocrisy, you know, you notice like on Sundays, at least here, not a lot of people die at church, (laughs) but there's a lot of hypocrisy. Uh, but what God is communicating at the outset is, this is important to me. This could kill my mission. If if you guys are hypocritical, if if this creeps in, my rescue mission here on earth could suffer. And so God deals with it. There's There's another story in the Old Testament that's kind of similar to this, where the people were going into the promised land. God had promised it for a long time. And God said, when you go into the promised land, the first territory that I give to you, you're not allowed to... Chris, can you wake him up? You're not allowed to, keep your eyes open. You're not allowed to uh, take the gold and the garments for yourself. And there was this one guy named Achan, and he goes in and he steals some for himself. He puts it at the bottom of his tent. And his sin is discovered, and he dies for that sin, that hypocrisy. That's not what God did all the time. But at the beginning, God is trying to communicate, this is important to me. You're a separate people. I don't want you to give in to the cultures around you. And so that's what's happening here. God is saying this to uh, the church. He's saying, look, this is important to me. I want there. To, I want you to be a clean people. Now, uh, here's where, like, uh, there's a disadvantage of me being old with you guys. And one of the disadvantages is, is like, it's been a really long time. Like that, when I was a teenager, it was like, you guys, I see some of you guys wear like Nirvana shirts. Like I was there, man. Like I was there before he was dead, you know, like that, that I was in that era. It was a long time ago. That, that's a disadvantage because it's hard for me to relate sometimes to like what you guys are facing and all that. But one advantage that I had is I remember what I would have said as a youth pastor from this passage back when I was younger, I would have gotten all up on you guys. I would have talked to you about the sin of hypocrisy and yo, don't bring that in here. Don't be a person whose life is incongruent. Don't be a person who says one thing and lives another. I would have like been in your grill about being holy, about being godly. And like, that's cool. Those are decent exhortations, but Over time, what I've discovered is probably a thing that I could talk to you guys about tonight is kind of preparing you for what are you going to do when you face hypocrisy in the church? Because it will happen. You know, I've been in the church my whole life. I grew up in a church planter's home. I've been exposed to church people my whole life. Whenever people talk to me about like, well, I got hurt by the church and that's why I'm not there anymore and stuff like that, it makes me chuckle a little bit because I got scars from the church. You know, I've experienced lots of pain at the hands of people in the church. I had a guy the other day just making conversation. He's just trying to ask me a question like, how's it going? And I'm like, ah, I don't know. It's going good, man. <laughs> and I, he's like, just tell me one good thing that's going on in your life right now. And I just tried to give him like a little like, oh, I'm going uh, to Disneyland on vacation in a couple of weeks. I just like gave him that little tidbit. And it was just like, boom, off to the races with, oh, Disney. I can't believe it. I can't believe you would support those. You know, he's kind of like giving me a little bit of a hard time for like, I'm just like, man, see, 
This is why I don't tell you this stuff. <laughs> That's just like a minor little thing, you know? Like, what are you guys going to do when that happens? You know, when disappointment, when someone who says that they love Jesus, they say they're godly, they say they believe in the gospel, they just act like they've never met God once in their lives. What are you going to do? And the encouragement I want to give to you is to, to help you understand that, yeah, hypocrisy, what it does is it slows down the church. Hypocrisy kills the church. Hypocrisy makes the mission of God suffer in a congregation. We should live holy lives. We should pursue that. But on the other hand, I just want to ask you, when you confront hypocrisy in others, don't let that derail you. It's not about you and your walk with the Lord. You keep pursuing him. You keep walking with him. Every one of us has our own decision to make about our relationship with him. And the other thing that I want to say to you, I want to give you an antidote to hypocrisy. And I kind of want to say honesty because, uh, you know, people will say, oh, the church is filled with hypocrites. But I think a better thing would be if we were honest about like, well, we're not all that great of people. You know, we have lots of shortcomings. We have temptations that we struggle with. We buckle to them quite often. So being honest in appropriate environments is really important. But some people just think honesty is like the only thing. I, I think I also want to say what, what God wants at the end of the day is not perfection, but he wants loyalty. He wants, he wants us to be people who are like, yeah, you know, God, I love you. I might not be perfect, but I'm trying to grow. I want to grow with you. Okay, so that's the first one I wanted you to see is this hypocrisy. Click. Verse 12, let's keep going. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done uh, among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Remember the guy that got healed? This is kind of where that region took place. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So is that good or bad? Good or bad? Good. Yeah, that's good. Not a trick question. That's good. So... Verse 15, that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The implication is people were getting healed like that. He's just cruising down the street. His shadow is this way. People are like, get over in his shadow. And they're getting healed as he's cruising. How amazing is that? That's so cool. I've, that has never happened to me, by the way. Okay, my shadow, nothing special happens in there. But yeah, yeah, thank you for that. I love that faith. That's a belief. Probably not in me, but in the Lord. Okay, so that's happening. It says, verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Click. But... The high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I like that description of Jesus and the gospel, the words of this life. And verse 21, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. So these guys, the next day, they're like, we're going to decide what to do with these church people. They're preaching Jesus. we got to talk about this. We rested them last night. Let's talk about it. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. 
So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Click. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Where are these guys? They're thinking. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So at this point, the apostles are like popular in Jerusalem. People are like, these guys are amazing. Their shadows are healing people. So they love the apostles. They're out there preaching in the temple and they, they go to get them like, okay, hey, would you, uh, we can't really arrest you because the people will just start throwing rocks at us until we die. So could you just please come with us? And so Peter and the guys, they go with them. And when they brought them, verse 27, click, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God. Bless you. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So it is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. All right, look at verse 29. We must what, Peter said? We must obey God. Instead of who? And then... The last verse, verse 32, whom God has given those who what? Obey. Obey him. All right. So these guys come out, the religious leaders, they tell Peter, and they're like, look, it's illegal for you to talk about Jesus. It's against the law. You're not allowed to do this. And Peter, what does Peter say? He says, well, we got to listen to God. We can't listen to you. Now, Peter is a guy who understood. He even wrote this. Look at this in 1 Peter 2. There's a letter from Peter. You like how... When I did a cross-reference, I put a black background on it. I thought that was very clever of me. Yeah. Okay, so this is from 1 Peter. Peter wrote this, same guy. He said, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Okay, Peter has a human institution talking to him in the book of Acts saying, don't preach about Jesus. Peter's a guy who said, obey every human institution. But he disobeys the human institution in Acts chapter five. Why? Because what the human institution was telling him to do was contradictory to what God was telling him to do. And when I say that, I don't mean like, I feel like God is telling me that I should eat ice cream every day, all day. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God in the flesh, Jesus said, go preach the gospel to all nations. So he knew what he was supposed to do. Click. So here's the thing that can kill the church. Hypocrisy, number one, fear of people, too. Fear of people. I've been saying fear of man for so many years, but I felt like in this era of gender equality, I should say fear of people as well. Because ladies can be freaky, scary, also. I am very afraid. Okay, fear of people. Okay, you guys know this, right? Fear of people can totally, like, you're like, man, I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to be all about him. I'm going to be devoted to him. And then you start feeling pressured 
the people who don't share that same value. And I, I, I remember being a kid and going away to those like camps, you know, like Hume and stuff like that, going away to camps and like something about that time where it's just like all my friends were at home. I was just away from everything. The worship music is happening. The youth pastor is like actually good at that one, you know, and like you're just there, you're having a good time and you just feel God speaking to you. And I'm like, this is it. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be different. Pacific Grove Middle School is going to know I'm a Christian. <laughs> and then you go back, the bell rings on Monday morning, and it's like, oh, I don't, I don't think that really happened. <laughs> you know, and you start compromising because of a fear of people. And that can really hurt the church. That can really hurt the church. Uh, this happens to individuals, but it also happens to like big groups of churches where like doctrines, beliefs, theologies that we've had forever. Like this is who people are, man, woman, male, female. This is what sex is, you know? And then they start, well, we fear the people. We fear the culture. We fear the time. So let's start rewriting what we think and what we believe. And you don't want to do that. So what's an antidote to the fear of people is the fear of God. Not a paranoia about God, but a respect for God. God, I, I love you. I'm not gonna, you're more important to me than anyone. All right, let's wrap it up with the end of the chapter. Click. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. <laughs> so these guys, they do not like hearing no from Peter. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, this guy was actually Paul the Apostles before Paul became a Christian. He was Paul's teacher. He's a teacher of the law held in honor by all people. He stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So he's like, yo, we got to talk about this without the apostles here. And he said to them in verse 35, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For behold, these day, for before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. How many of you guys know the story of Thutis? Yeah, none of you know the story of Thutis because nobody knows the story of Thutis. It just happened sometime in history. We have no record of it whatsoever, but Gamaliel talked about it. After him, we do know a little bit about this guy. Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So here's Gamaliel's point. He's like, yeah, guys, there have been movements before, and they died. Maybe this movement will also die, this whole Christianity thing, these Jesus people. So, verse 38, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, but if it's of God... You will not be able to overthrow them. Preach, Gamaliel. Here we are 2,000 years later. We're still popping. We're still happening. Gamaliel was right. If it's of God, it'll keep going. Uh, he says, you might even found to be opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they're like, one last beating before we let you guys go free. Then... They left the presence of the council. Click. And I'm not clicking, but my, my human clicker, he's on it. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. Okay, the last thing I want you guys to see. Hypocrisy can kill the church. Uh, The fear of people can kill the church. In this last little episode, these guys get beat up. They get thrown in prison. They come out and they're like, "We, we are so glad that we have been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Here's the thing I wanted to point out. What can kill the church? Number three, not pain, apparently. These guys are hurting. These guys are suffering. These guys are persecuted. And still, the church moves forward. And I wanted to say that to you guys for a couple of reasons. I mean, if if I'm being like, if I'm being uh, very, uh, what's it called when someone's very, no, like, you're being very particular about, like, careful when you're specific, maybe uh, anal. Not stingy. If, if I'm being anal about this, you guys know that one? That's probably not youth group safe. Okay, stop, Kylie. <laughs> okay. If I'm being fastidious about this, Okay, then what I would say is actually pain can kill the church because there have been times throughout church history where persecution has like so completely decimated a population that the church no longer exists in an area because of persecution. But normally, especially in the book of Acts, persecution seemed to have this like enlivening effect on the church. It brought the best out of us. There's something about when we get when we get to be lazy in Christianity, there's just something about it that it brings out the absolute worst in us. But that when times are hard, it brings out the most beautiful facets of what Jesus is all about. And for that, I just wanted to say to you guys, like, I don't know what people are saying to you. I don't know what grownups say to you about the future and the times we're in and stuff like that. I'm sure you got at least somebody who's like, man, this world is terrible, you know, and it's, things are so bad. What I want to say to you is, like, to me, I'm not surprised by any of it because I've read the Bible. I know what's going to happen. But the thing I want to say to you guys is, I think you guys are living in one of the most exciting times for the church because you can have, like, there's no reason according to this culture and society, for you to pretend to be a Christian, you're either going to be a real one or you're not. You're either going to want the Lord or, or you're not. You know, and, and I, to me, that is just so exciting. And I think a thing that's exciting is we live in a time where people are like so post-post-Christian that people are asking questions. There's like this spiritual thirst. It might not always lead them to Jesus, but There's something exciting about that. So I just want you guys to know that. These are exciting times. And a little bit of hardship or a little bit of pain or a little bit of persecution or a little bit of being the spiritual minority or a little bit of being outcast or a little bit of being ridiculed or a little bit of like, they made fun of me online for being a Christian. A little bit of that is not going to kill you. It can do a beautiful work in your life if you allow it. All right, so that's what I wanted you to see. What can kill the church? Hypocrisy can, the fear of people can. 
not pain. Here's a couple cross-references. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a great one to send your friends, like cheer them up, you know, like, hey, just so you know, it's a promise. You will be persecuted. Here's another one, 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Here's one more from James 1, 2, and 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let that have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So hypocrisy, fear of people, and not pain. But here are some antidotes I wanted to give to you guys as we wrap it up tonight. What do you do about hypocrisy? Be honest. Be honest. Look, if you are like in a spot in your life where you're not sure if you want to believe in Jesus, you're not, you're not like convinced yet, like it's okay. This is like a great place for you to be thinking about that. You don't have to act like you're just like rock solid, like I'm all in. You don't have to act that way. You can investigate your faith here. Uh, honesty is important. Fear of God. And then what's the antidote to, to ease? Pain. I want to encourage you guys to choose to do hard things sometimes because it will bring out the very best in your life. All right, so you guys got the questions. They were at the back on your way in. I want to pray for your small groups right now and ask that God would speak to you guys as you gather together. Lord, thank you for these kids. I pray that you bless them tonight as they do their small group and as we all hang out together. We love you, Lord, and we pray that we would not be part of destroying your mission but that we be part of making it go further and further and further through the lives we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.